0: Happy birthday, I got you a cockatoo. It's very pretty, smart, affectionate, it's awesome. Who wouldn't want that? They do require a lot of attention. They can be loud and aggressive and chew up things in your house, and you really shouldn't leave the house for more than six hours at a time, and make sure that you cook it good meals too. You're gonna love it. Oh, and they live for about 60 years. Now some people have cockatoos and love it. Some people would love to get that present, but not everyone. It's a complex package that they didn't ask for, and it lasts a long time. Heaven, in the ways it's often been described, is a cockatoo. What if I don't want to spend all my time worshiping? What if I don't want to live in a golden city? What if I don't want angels for neighbors? What if I don't want an afterlife? And it doesn't last 60 years, it lasts forever. Trepidation is understandable. Tonight, we're going to look at a different kind of heaven. One that's as varied as the human experience, as compatible as your deepest hopes and joys, and is bursting with more lifestyles and things than you can imagine, including cockatoos. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. So glad you could make it. I'm Curtis Childs. I'm the host. Sorry, I double-booked myself. Uh, I got my heart practice and the show at the same time. If you can hang tight for like eight seconds, I've got to finish this set. Seven, one, four. All right, that was it. That was uh, four minutes, 15 seconds of heart practice time. And you know what? I enjoyed those four minutes. So that's pretty good because, as you and I know, If I turn out to be a good person, I am going to be playing one of those on one of these forever, right? I mean, you could say, all right, that's a simplified picture of heaven. It's a straw man of sorts. But people have been advocating positions comparable to that about heaven throughout history. There's always been these ideas of it as a flat, monolithic boring thing, and so much so that when our buddy, Emanuel Swedenborg, visited the afterlife and brought back this sort of firsthand eyewitness accounts, he said there were time and resources dedicated actually to debunking false ideas of heaven in heaven. There were people who went there who thought heaven is nothing but wonderful feasting with famous people, or conversations with bright luminaries, or worship and praise all the time, on and on, forever. And that they actually got to live that out for a couple of days. Nothing but worship for a couple of days. Nothing but eating for a couple of days. And realize, this is terrible. This isn't heaven at all. So even there, the even in the afterlife, the false ideas about heaven persist. But there's a larger picture that happens here on earth, because while the people that went to these false heavens, Swedenborg describes, wanted heaven to be like that, and we're shown, oh, that's not actually good, the rest of us hear uh, like accounts of or or prophecies that heaven is going to be of things of this character, and we say, I don't want that. That's not cool at all." And that leads to quotes like this one from our good friend Mark Twain, "'Go to heaven for the climate, and hell for the company.'" And there's a little shot in there about the rules that the church was establishing, about who can get in and who can get out, but really at the core of it, it is this idea that heaven seems like it's a problem, that it's a flawed place. And many other quotes and people have echoed that, that heaven has got some issues, and those issues being that it's boring, but not just boring, beyond that, it's oppressive, and it's irrelevant, oppressive because you have God making arbitrary decisions about who gets in and out, you have suffering if you don't get in, there seems to be lifestyles that would be incompatible with, with real human joy and depth, and also irrelevant, like, we go through this life. And there's so much complexity, there's so much nuance and subtlety in relationships and experience, but then heaven is just all harps and clouds, or it's all ecstasy and, and, uh, you know, praise and, and worship. So you lose all of this in heaven. That's sort of what a lot of us have been sold about heaven. But Swedenborg comes along, says, I've seen it, And it's actually none of those. That we all think, oh, heaven is this place that's perfect, and it's uh, repetitive, and everybody's got a white picket fence there. And Swedenborg says, no, there is that stuff, but there's so much more. That it's this vast, expansive, expanding dimension of human consciousness that is not boring, but fundamental, expansive, and not just expansive, but limitless. That it's ever-changing, ever-expanding, and that there's no way, because of the fundamental nature of it, that you're not going to like it because of the aesthetic, or you're not going to like it because of the oops, <laughs> of the activities. I'm like trying to point at these fake things, and I forgot what this real thing is, uh, because of the activities. The only way that you're not going to like heaven is if you have a very specific mindset. We'll go over that, the reasons for not liking you, but really we're going to also focus mainly on the reasons why we think you will like heaven, and we're going to give that to you starting in point one. What if I don't like heaven? To which I could reply, which heaven are you talking about? Because while you, if you've been around Swedenborg a little bit, you do know that he describes levels of heaven, three to be specific, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that there's not just three heavens, there are as many heavens as there are human beings in heaven, because he says heaven is actually different for every single Individual. This is from his book, Heaven and Hell 319, which you can download for free on Swedenborg.com. The heaven in one individual is not the same as the heaven in another. It differs in each according to the affection for what is good and true. So it's not only different for everyone, but different based on the way that they feel about the deepest things in life, the good and the true. And he goes on to talk about how heaven is not defined by externals, it's not like a pen or a place you get shooed into, and then there it seeps into you. It's actually having to do with the activity of what he calls love and faith inside of a person, that this is something that starts inside and there generates out. And he describes this in his book, Heaven and Hell, number 51.
1: The activity of love and faith is what makes heaven. This good activity is in every community of heaven and in every angel of a community. It does not matter that this activity is different and distinctive everywhere. It is still the activity of heaven. The only difference is that heaven has one activity here and another there. So whenever anyone is raised into any community of heaven, they say that he or she has arrived in heaven. They say of those who are there that they are in heaven, each in his or her own. All the people who have arrived in the other life realize this so individuals who are standing outside or below heaven and looking off into the distance where there is a gathering of angels say that heaven is there and over there as well.
0: That heaven is different according to the activities that each are engaged in. That heaven is founded on the doing of cool and useful stuff. But it, that, that, that the way that that stuff is done can be very different. We had a simple representation there of different activities that you could take part in, but realize that heaven... The, the different things you're engaged in that make heaven, the different ways you're expressing love to the human race through doing things that benefit it, that also affects how you feel, and it, it changes the heaven inside you. And because the way the spiritual world is, that also changes the heaven outside. And could this be why you get so many different reports of heaven? that people have near-death experiences or other spiritually transformative experiences, and they come back saying a lot of different things, because there's a lot of different parts of heaven. There's a unity. It's not that we're all in these weird little caves by ourselves of experience. There's a unity, but we're all bringing something different to it and, and receiving something different to it. And there's enough of a variety that there's there's actually a unique little heaven for each of us. But it's not just on the individual level that there are differences. They're actually on a larger scale noticeable cultural differences. And Swedenborg says there are actually differing, even differing, religious cultures in heaven. It's not all wiped out and replaced with one, uh, I was going to say monolithic again, with one single religious experience. He talks about this in Heaven and Hell 56. He says, the different ways the Lord is worshipped in variations that stem from the difference of activity from one community to another do not cause harm, but bring benefit." Which, you know, here on earth we often find some harm from the clash, but there he's saying, no, they bring benefit because they are a source of heaven's perfection. So it's not just like, well, we're tolerating that there's people with differing views, but actually they make heaven more perfect. And if you want if you wanted me to back up that statement, check out this show. We spend the whole time looking at how actually the different mindsets that the different kinds of heavens and the different people produce create a better overall human race and a better heaven through that. And uh, so, so what you got there is this heaven where you can actually, you could go there and see, Swedenborg even says, differing. Religion. So, if we were flying through heaven, you would see, recognizably, demonstrably, different ways of worshiping and of living, but all in heaven, all together. Now, it's not like there's... Uh, it's only religious, you know, cultures you'd recognize from earth, there are more there, there's a mixing and expanding, and it seems that as you go deeper and deeper, um, stuff changes. Th- that external manifestations or practices are a little less important, it's more about life and people get, get even closer. But there is this, in, in plenty of heaven, there's just plenty of difference. It's not like everybody there wears the same clothes, everybody there does the same thing. right? So on a large scale, there's differences. And the reason we're mentioning, why are we mentioning all these differences, it's to show you that you, it's not like there's going to be heaven and, oh, I don't like the vibe of that heaven. There's, so, there's infinite vibes. In heaven. Do people still say vibes anymore? There are infinite vibes in heaven. That, and so it's going to be the right one for you somewhere. You're going to be in your right large community, but then in your right individual slice of paradise that's just responding to your thoughts and your heart. And it's going to be always improving there. It's going to be constantly upgrading that actually your personal heaven changes along with you. We really dig into this, not to just keep throwing you at other shows, but we did a show called The Heaven Project, and in there we talk about the continued evolution of it. And and a lot of it is, you know, the the changing of the way people think and feel, and we've been talking about that. But let's get a little more tangible. Your house changes. Yeah, your house in heaven actually grows with, along with your mind. And this is from Secrets of Heaven, 1629.
1: The houses of good spirits and angelic spirits usually have porticos or long entryways, vaulted and sometimes doubled where they walk. The walls of the walkways are formed in many different ways, and are graced with flowers and flower garlands, woven in an extraordinary manner. Not to mention other kinds of decoration that change and replace one another, as noted. These details appear to them in brighter light at one time, in weaker light at another, but always offering profound pleasure. Their houses also turn more beautiful as the spirits grow in perfection. When the houses are undergoing change, something representing a window appears at the side and widens, and the inside grows darker. A piece of starry sky appears, as does a kind of cloud, which is a sign that their houses are changing into even more enchanting ones.
0: A lot of things to say about that video. Hopefully, at the end, everybody got hyped about that idea of, there's a window that appears, there's like signs, like sacred signs that appear showing, oh, we're going through something cool. You're changing the houses moving. So that's one thing you may have had a reaction, like, oh, I don't know if I want that, like porticos in my house. That's not what I'm hip to. Realize Swedenborg was writing in the 1800s, and that heaven has advanced since then. He says that we actually all are, as our architecture advances, we're actually trailing heaven, that, that heaven is where the essence of the art is, and that we are receiving updates for them. So all stuff that you could see here and more is there, and so there's there's all this variety in tastes you see in this world. Similarly, there's a variety in, in uh, essential architectural strains. So there's houses of all kinds. It's always important to understand that your picture of heaven needs to be expanded. You think, oh, all houses look a certain way in heaven. Expand that. Oh, there's only houses that people live in. Expand that. There's only a certain kind of, one kind of person there. Expand It's always bigger than you think it is. And that Swedenborg often tried to communicate just how vast and how full and how rich heaven was. We're actually going to give you a clip of his from spiritual experiences where he talks about uh, the, where he talks about the, uh, I I already used the word vastness, but the endlessness of the heaven that's available, and how it's not in any danger of becoming overcrowded. So this is from Spiritual Experiences 5513, and you're going to see how there's some spirits he's traveling with across space and over mountain ranges, and it's a little bit vague at times, but that's how it is when you're writing travel notes from the great beyond. So here's what he had to say.
1: In a wakeful state, I was led to another planet in the universe for a second time this happened through constant changes of state that went on for about 12 hours i was in the company of spirits and angels they were led straight southward now upward not vertically now downward to a mountainside also over mountains and over quagmires along the way on the mountains here and there i also heard spirits speaking among themselves I noticed then how immense the Lord's heaven is, because from the expanse that I passed through, by making a comparison with the expanse of spirits and angels from our earth, which is a dimension with which I am familiar, I could conclude that if there were several hundred thousands of planets, and from every one as many human beings as from our earth, there would still be places for them to eternity, and it would never be filled.
0: An infinity of location. There's, there's no chance of it filling up. It's not just like it's one planet. It's as expansive and more so than this amazing physical universe we find ourselves in. However, it doesn't matter how expansive something is. If there's a being in it that's omnipresent, you're always going to run into them. Which brings us to God. Now, heaven, whether or not you like it, probably depends a lot on whether or not you like God, because God's everywhere in heaven. So, if God's not cool, it ruins the whole thing. It deals off. So we gotta investigate this next. Let's take a look at part two. Not everybody gets the warm fuzzies when you start to talk about God. And if God is an inescapable part of heaven, we've really got to investigate how how are we gonna be sure that. God doesn't rub me the wrong way. You're, you went in the first section saying, listen, heaven is not gonna... you're not gonna not like heaven because there's so much different, there's so much customization, there are so many different heavens, you're gonna find the place that's right for you, but what if what, God... what if that doesn't fit? Well, what we're gonna first look at is how there's a, sort of a parallel phenomenon with God, that there is... not that there are many gods, but there are many ways of connecting with this infinite divine. So we'll begin in Heaven and Hell 52 where Swedenborg talks about the Lord appearing, God appearing as a person near us. When the Lord appears in the midst of angels, he does not appear surrounded by a crowd, but as a lone individual in angelic form. And I was talking with uh, translator Jonathan Rose about that, and whether it means, like, he brings everyone together as if they're in a single body, or it just means he's just one person like everybody else, doesn't have an entourage. We could go into that. The point is, you're going to be able to, at times experience the divine in some kind of personable, relatable form. And what it goes on to say in 55 is relevant to our topic today. When the Lord renders himself present in any particular community, his appearance depends on the nature of the good activity that community is engaged in. It is therefore not exactly the same in one community as in another. It is not that this difference is in the Lord, it is in the individuals who are seeing Him from their own goodness and therefore in keeping with it. They are affected by the sight of Him according to the quality of their own love. In a sense there, you have a customized God. Not that you can say, okay, I want God to be this or do this, but your heart and mind see life, experience life in a particular way, and because of that, you have a particular relationship to the divine that nobody else quite has in the same way, and because of that, that affects the way that God appears to you. Swedenborg talks about it on a community scale, and remember, in heaven in the spiritual world, community is driven by affinity. So like attracts like, as they say, people who have similar, not the same, but similar deep purpose and desires and similar beliefs about the world come together with you. So you all see a similar and experience a similar God. So it would be kind of like this. If God is appearing in different communities, God is this colorful person there. So that's what God, God's always orange and yellow? No. If you're somewhere else where they have a different kind of love and a different kind of faith, maybe God looks a little different. Or over here, there's a different essence, a different interaction. It's all God, but it's like seeing something from different angles or the different kinds of light that that come out of different prisms. God is different, uh, showing a different face and interfacing with us in a different way. And so this I take as an indication that you're not going to come up against an idea, uh, an image of God that you don't vibe with. Man, vibe again. That you don't jive with. No, nobody says jive anymore. Okay, there's no more words to describe you don't harmonize with, right? So, God is definitely going to show you the thing that you resonate with. And not just like, oh, I'm putting up a front, but like, this is the part that you're connected with. And this, that makes me wonder, if that accounts for other people's experiences as well. We found this interesting piece on neardeath.com where there was a woman named Margaret Tweddle, or Twedell, and we're going to show you a quote that she has here about Jesus and different appearances of Jesus to different people. Jesus shows Himself to us according to our own understanding. If I want to think of Him as a man who walked by the lake and a man who looked as the Jews looked at that time, then I'll see Him in that way. If in my thought I think he's modern and bright, then I'll see him that way. We do not see him as the medieval painters made him. We see him as we, in our own selves, have pictured him, because otherwise we wouldn't recognize him. How would we know unless we have we have the picture already in our own being, in our own minds, in our own hearts? And what I feel like she's saying at the end resonates with Swedenborg's assertion that it's not that God is changing, it's that what our perception is changes. So the, the things that mean something to us... Uh, affect how you experience this divine. And what, at this point, you may be wondering, or or I th- thought that it's worth asking, why are we having this conversation in the first place? Why am I sitting here having to defend and say, no, no, that's all right, God is fine. God is cool, you're gonna like, I mean, God is divine perfection, love and wisdom. Why, why would we be needing to debate this? Isn't it, shouldn't it be more like, wow, God's there, I'm there, I'm going there, that's gonna be awesome. Well, it's because, as I said before, God does not, the, uh, the term God does not always evoke happiness and safety and security with people because there has been a lot of misinformation disseminated about God. Just like you have misinformation about heaven that's causing people to say, well, I, the whole thing isn't true, I don't believe in it, or even if it is, I'll go to hell for the company. There's also been this, this blatant, what we would now call, character assassination. Of God, this spreading of misinformation for other people's gain. God, we're going to say that God only supports what I say, that God likes me, he doesn't like you, he wants the same laws passed that I want passed. That's how people have put forward God to serve their own ends, and it's left us with a mess, with all kinds of pictures of gods that are irrational, or angry, or vindictive, or who favor a couple of people over everybody else. And that's, according to Swedenborg, according to many others, that's not how it is. That's not how God is at all, and that's not somebody you'd want to spend eternity with. That, that'd be miserable to have to spend eternity with somebody like that. But luckily, it seems that universally, the people who actually experience God paint a very different picture of the divine, what it is like to meet the one who made us. So here we have a couple of quotes. Again, this is from uh, neardeath.com. This is what it's like for people when they describe meeting what they believe to be God. This is from Barbara Springer. You can see here, I then became aware of a bright heavenly being. I felt as if I was in the presence of God. This being had light radiating from him and he embraced me. And when he embraced me, I could feel the most powerful love. It is the greatest love that there is in the universe. There is no greater love. That's the greatest in the universe, greatest love in the universe. Who doesn't like love? Okay. Jane Smith says, the closer one gets to God, the closer one comes to all the light, love, and knowledge in the universe. And if I said you're going somewhere and there's going to be God there, some people might uh but if I said you're going somewhere and there's light, love, and knowledge there, nobody's gonna turn that down. So God actually is a lot cooler, it seems, than he's often described. Next. God is love, this is from Betty Eady, who wrote a great book, God is love in its purest form. God perfectly understands our lack of knowledge. He knows that most of us do not remember our commitments to Him. In His eyes, pardon me, God forgives that low throat, clear, if you would do the same. In His eyes we are like little children, susceptible and even expected to make mistakes. So not this judging, condemning, scorekeeping God that we've heard of. And then finally, Howard Storm, who was kind enough to appear on our program, couple episodes back, 100 or something. I knew that this light, this radiance knew me. I don't know how to explain to you that I knew it knew me. I just did. As a matter of fact, I understood that it knew me better than my mother or father did. The luminous entity that embraced me knew intimately, knew me intimately and began to communicate a tremendous sense of knowledge. I knew that He knew everything about me, and I was being unconditionally loved and accepted. After what I had been through, to be completely known, accepted, and intensely loved by this being of light surpassed anything I had known or could have imagined. I began to cry, and the tears kept coming and coming, and we, I and this light, went up out of there. So you got, whenever people are actually there, nobody's like, oh, it was terrible, I had to be... Hanging out with God and God was loud and kept telling the same jokes and was obviously, you know, judging my outfit. No, everybody's psyched to be with God. Uh, and that we can assume that that because there's this intimate knowledge that Howard Storm talks about uh, of, that God has for us, similarly, that encounter will be just as wonderful for us as well. And Swedenborg gets in on it too. And Swedenborg is big into slamming and debunking everything he considers to be false information, egregious false information against God. So he says in True Christianity 56, you can see how insane people are who think that God can condemn anyone, curse anyone, throw anyone into hell, predestine anyone's soul to eternal death, avenge wrongs or rage against or punish anyone. People are even more insane if they actually believe this, let alone teach it. In reality, God cannot turn away from us or even look at us with a frown. To do any such thing would be against His essence. And what is against his essence is in is against himself, so what we 're trying to convince you of is that God is an asset to the heaven experience that God is actually the peak of joy when we encounter God, it is the best feeling that you can have, and having the best feeling you can have, I would say only enhances a, a level of existence, so having God in heaven is not going to ruin it. But there's still the question of, really, you want me to go be in heaven, and be in heaven forever? Uh, this is this is this thing outside me. I still don't know if I really can ever feel like oh, that's a home thing for me. Why would I want to do it? We're going to show in the next section how heaven is more than just a place you're put. It's actually a manifestation of the deepest things inside you. So let's take a look in part three. So it's a paraphrase of the famous statement by Jesus Christ that the Kingdom of God is within you, and Swedenborg says, yeah, he's telling the truth on that. Heaven is something that actually begins in the human heart and mind, rather than in some exospiritual space somewhere. This is from Heaven and Hell, 53. Swedenborg writes, Heaven is not outside angels, but within them their deeper levels, the levels of their minds, are arranged in the form of heaven, and therefore are arranged to accept all the elements of heaven that are outside them. So you have this form of heaven in your mind, and it accepts the heaven outside. We're going here because you're saying, what if I don't like heaven? What if I don't feel at home there? Heaven is the definition of home. I mean, it is the outward expression and realization of the thing the deepest longings in you is is this is like you're you're coming into to your sense of belonging your sense of community and of groundedness heaven is the experience of being home we were talking about heaven is heaven is there's a lot of things can we distill it down into a clear definition of what what ties all this together? What is heaven in the first place? Well, Swedenborg gives a few of those. There's an interesting one here in Heaven and Hell 319. He says that, oh, and this is, we're coming right into the middle of, he's trying to convince his readership, which would have been all Christian at the time, that no, it's not just Christians that can go to heaven. Anybody can go to heaven. Non-Christians can go there too. So that's where we pick up here. People can realize that non-Christians as well as Christians, are saved if they know what constitutes heaven in us. For heaven is within us, and people who have heaven within them come into heaven. The heaven within us is our acknowledgement of the divine and our being led by the divine. So there's a, there's a one-sentence definition for you. An acknowledgement of the divine and a being led by the divine. Now, again, if we didn't do section two, and we didn't establish God's coolness, then that could be like, oh, I'm just going to be arbitrarily led around by some grumpy deity. That does not sound like heaven. But if you think of God as light, love, and knowledge, uh, as the deepest, most expansive love in the universe, and even as Swedenborg put it, love for the entire human race, the love of helping, the love of making conscious beings happy, to follow that, that is heaven. That is the most blissful state you can be in when you are really putting yourself into a cause like that. That's what being led by the Lord is, because that's all the Lord cares about, is doing good to people, doing good to that makes a difference in happiness for somebody. So that is heaven. And when we have that inside, then we can come into this heaven that you can see and interface with externally. But if you don't have that square, you can't get into heaven, so that's why there's this whole process of working that. And that's important to realize, because it's not like it's being introduced from the outside. This is something that starts growing right in the heart and in the mind, and Swedenborg describes it further in Heaven and Hell 54.
1: It can never be said that heaven is outside anyone. It is within. Because every angel accepts the heaven that is outside, in keeping with the heaven that is within. We can see, then, how mistaken people are who think that getting into heaven is simply a matter of being taken up among the angels, regardless of the quality of their inner life, who believe that heaven is granted merely because of the Lord's mercy. On the contrary, unless heaven is within an individual, nothing of the heaven that is outside flows in and is accepted.
0: But do you see the implication? So assuming we all take that journey of getting this heaven inside so that we resonate with heaven outside, which God is offering that journey to us every moment of every day, according to Swedenborg, we just got to put in some work. But with the inside leading what heaven is, it means that all this stuff we've been showing you in these maps, all of this splendor and everything that's not even represented there and that is, that's all based on what's in the hearts and minds of angels, all this stuff originates there, right, and comes out. That everything beautiful you see, everything moving, everything that people go on these near-death experiences and say, that was amazing, that is a reflection, a correspondence of the the best things that can be inside the souls of people. This is the, the most noble things that we see here. You know, altruism, selflessness, you know, sacrifice for others, these things that, wow, that moved me. That is, heaven is that stuff alive around us, right? Within us and around us, which I think uh, is pretty cool. And it would be something that, would be well worth participating in, right? And like I said, God is always giving us the chance to take that journey, uh, and it can happen not just in the future, but now. This is from Secrets of Heaven 6611. I have talked with spirits about the changes of state our life undergoes, describing that state as unpredictable, and saying that we are carried up and down toward heaven and toward hell, but those of us who allow ourselves to be reborn are constantly carried upward into ever deeper heavenly communities. The Lord allows our sphere of influence to extend into those communities when we are being reborn, especially when being reborn through trials in which we resist evil and falsity. In other words, through spiritual crises and things we go through in life. He goes on. At those times, you see, he uses angels to battle evil and falsity, which introduces us into the deep-lying communities of those angels. Once we have been introduced into them, we stay there, as a result, we also receive a broader, loftier capacity for perception." In case you didn't catch that, we are going through struggles, hard times here, where we work to, I'm going to be led by what's good and true, rather than by selfishness and materialism. Things go up, things go down, but as we win those battles, as God brings us through that, we actually, our spirit is in the spiritual world right now, and it's being brought into angelic communities now. And that's what gives us a higher perspective on life. If you ever feel like, man, 10 years ago, I had nothing uh, compared to what I have now in terms of how I understand life, it's because your spirit is moving up. That this stuff we're showing you here, these communities, this is not just something for another day. You You could be in these now, and you are moving around and traversing the more you put this work in. So there is this immediacy to all these ideas on heaven. It is not just something for whatever, 20 years from now, whatever, whatever you feel like your clock is, it's something today. So as you can see, heaven is a state of mind, it's home, it's expansive, God is great to hang out with. The only way you're not going to enjoy the whole thing, it's, it's, it's an ex- expression of the deepest, best things in humanity, it's tailor-made by the greatest love and wisdom in the universe. The only way you're not going to like it is if you don't like loving people that if you do not enjoy, like, not that, not like, oh, I, I like to be around people all the time, but the concept of wishing well to others, you know, like, I, I hope things go well for them, and I'm doing something, and would like to benefit them in some way, whether that's I'm living with them or living apart from them, just general, hey, do I only care about myself and kind of think other people are disposable, or do I like the idea of somebody being happy just because they, they deserve to be happy, because... People should be happy. That's heaven. If you like that, you can be in heaven. There are plenty of people who don't like heaven. Those people don't like it not because oh the rules are too strict or it's a it's because at their core they are opposed to love opposed to wishing well to other people. And we've talked about that in a lot of episodes, and don't worry if you struggle with it, people struggle with stuff all the time, but you get the point I'm trying to make. It's not that you're not going to like the the curtains, it's you have to truly despise others' happiness to get away from heaven. And there's a magnetic pole that should be bringing us all there, and it's somewhere you really do want to go. And we've learned a lot about it today, so we, so that we don't forget it all, let's wrap up um, and and consolidate. Oh right, 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 I forgot about that. Never mind. Before we, before we, uh, as our, as uh, our producer Stuart has reminded me, you can't just skip the meditation. You know that saying. Well, because we, we, we put all this stuff in your brain, and we want to let you shift it around, settle, and continue to have this expansive idea. And so we thought we'd give you an expansive, reflective couple minutes. we've got quotes coming in from not just Swedenborg. I don't think any from Swedenborg, but from all kinds of sources, all traditions talking about heaven and these paths leading into it. So just let these thoughts sink in, let the imagery and the music talk to you, and see, like we said, maybe your spirit is transported a little into heaven as a goes. So just vibe out, see what happens. Hypes me up, man. Thinking about all those different people from all those different walks of life coming together, those traditions to, to the big party to heaven, and it's not just a party like, oh, we're gonna sit around and eat and talk. This is like we're gonna do things that help everyone, and that, that we can be excited about the, the greatness of the cause. Go for a cause, man. Anyway. So, I know you don't trust me when I talk about what assets are going to come up next, because I I misled you before, but I promise, this time, we really do need to wrap up and consolidate knowledge. So, we talked about a lot today, but the fundamental thing to remember about heaven is that it's huge, and it's different for everyone. Just like every heart and mind is unique, we all have our own little slice of heaven, something only we can give to the greater whole. And it's not static. Just as we continue to learn and grow, our heaven changes with us. And just like many people have negative misconceptions about heaven, God has been grossly misrepresented as well. The real God isn't someone you need to have any concern about, and the ways that God appears differently in different communities bring nothing but good vibes and expansive love. really, heaven isn't the beautiful sights and experiences that Swedenborg and others have reported seeing. Heaven is a state of mind and heart. It's a commitment to mutual love that shines out from inside heaven's inhabitants, creating all the majesty, complexity, and wonder seen outside them. Doesn't sound so bad. So, as we wrap up here today, remember everybody, uh, If you want to help this thing grow, please like and subscribe. That uh, gives us this way to get out into YouTube. The buttons are here as we're indicating and that helps spread the word. And I'm very excited today to announce to you a very cool thing that's happening. We are going to be launching, as of right now, as of this moment, our Patreon program. So if you want to become part of what we do in a way more intimately and more importantly, Than you ever have before. If you want to get connected to us more closely, and us connected to you, check out our account on patreon.com. Click this little eye that's here. There's also in the description and in the cards at the end of this video, any way you want to get to patreon.com slash off the left eye, we are going to be giving you uh, the ability to see behind the scenes. If you become a patron of our show, you're going to see what goes into making this show. The best stuff is going to remain free. Uh, You know, the... the, um, show we're putting on here, all the work that goes into it, but if you want a little bit more and feel like you're making this show happen, if you're able to support us, then we're going to show you stuff that went into making stuff that's available nowhere else! Exclusive content! Yeah, just stuff like this. Um, You know, we have uh, the behind the scenes, uh, we did this archive thing where we went and looked at the Journal of Spiritual Experiences, there's a conversation with Kara Dom that I had in the show, 10 Early Signs of a Spiritual Awakening, but here we have the conversation that didn't make it in. The extras about the diary, and how it came to be, and the little nuances of it. Also in that same episode, there was a song where Jonathan Rose and I, you may or may not remember, jammed out on a teeny piano and a guitar and sung through the tens early signs of a spiritual awakening. Well it just so happens, oh, oops, <laughs> that we left, when we were writing that song together, we had, Jonathan was just recording on his phone so we'd remember, and we got that, you can, and we're putting it up for you so you can hear the entire writing of that song. Please check it out, patreon.com slash off the left eye, or click the description, etc., and, and be a part of what we do. It's a new program, and when you get there, leave feedback. Let us know what kind of stuff you would like. We want to work with you to create this engine that's going to help drive us more and more out into the world. So thanks for that, and as a token of appreciation, we're going to look at uh, some questions here, and um, I, I do want to give you bonus content right now, which is, you know, in the beginning, I was like, hey man, I don't just want to play harps all day. Since you made it this far, it's like an hour, you know, 40 minutes into this episode, you probably are decently in the Swedenborg. So correspondentially, that the lines about playing harps in heaven, a harp is a correspondence of acknowledging joyfully acknowledging God. So seeing the divine in things. Um, so you're going to always be doing that in heaven. So you're going to be playing a harp, but it's a spiritual harp, which is the wow this is awesome, and I see how everything is working for what's true and good. So there's some, there's a harp lesson for you. Okay, let's do the questions. What do we got? This is from YouTube. Mary, I wonder if we can change groups and communities in heaven when we find a way to advance? And the answer, according to Swedenborg, is yes. That... well, let's see that initially there's a lot of change, that there's a a whole first period where we move from community to community, which lasts longer or shorter than other people. uh, As we get distilled more and more into the essence of who we are, as we're progressing, you move all over the place. But even when you come to what Swedenborg would say is like your home community, your actual like real resonance with the, the deepest things in you, this is like where your soul belongs, even then, you can still be on the move. I I don't know if you'd be as much leaving that community, but Swedenborg says he sees entire communities uproot and move to different places as they learn or grow. So again, heaven is always bigger than we think it is. It's more dynamic, it's more changing all the time. So yeah, there is a way to move and advance. It's not, and who knows, yeah, it could be that people switch communities. The, The whole thing could change. It's always growing, always expanding, but even back in Swedenborg's day, People were up and moving, it's a dynamic place, and when they left, the scenery changed because it all comes from within, so you have all this shifting in heaven all the time too. Just like here on earth, you get changes on the geological scale and everything. Good question. Let's look at the next one. This is Goldie. How do spiritual marriages get together if one passes many years before the other? If one is in an external state, first entering the spiritual world, and the other already in the internal state? Yeah, because Swedenborg does talk about people being reunited on the other side and marriages being able to continue. Um, but right, what if there is a gap there? So the first thought is that space and time don't exist in the same way on the other side. They don't. There's a similar. There's a similar experience, but it's very different. So it's not like if you know your soulmate that you're married to dies, mm, you are alive for. 16 more years. It's not like they're sitting there, oh man, it's been 10 years. Are you ever going to show up? The, the, the progression of things is different there. Um And that love is eternal. So any gap is going to be worth waiting for. And as far as the, the the different states, right, like if somebody gets there, I think you catch up. I mean, there's there's an initial period that lasts for a little while, but it's not like you'll always be here and they'll always be there. Again, there's more of like, a, okay, you got acclimated, now we're kind of working. And even if they're a little farther, you, get, you catch up really quick. And there's so much intimacy and so much sharing that Swedenborg says that when you come into a spiritual community, you actually learn everything they know instantly. Like you, it's like you come into their knowledge and even into their love as well. So I would imagine within a pair that one can like, hey, I'll give you the answers, <laughs> you know, like that I, that they what the work they've done can be transferred and can be given so that there is this catching up, there's not this continual lag. It's a great question, and hopefully that, that made sense. All right, let's look at the next one. Uh, is it possible to be bored in the afterlife? Well, I think so. I mean, well, there's certainly, it's possible to be bored in the afterlife. Because, the you know, when I was talking in the beginning about the false heavens, oh, look at that, I had some, like, wayward hairs there. Um... Is it possibly bored in the afterlife? Swedenborg talked about those false heavens, and that was a case study in people becoming very bored in the spiritual world. So that does happen. In heaven, I would imagine so. Swedenborg says that you have sort of cycles of states, Some, and sometimes you're more in love and wisdom, sometimes you're less. It may be that you come into a bit of boredom. But I wouldn't think it's because, oh, there's nothing to do. It would be because there's some issue that needs to be worked out. That He says heaven always feels like morning and like spring when you're in the thick of it, which is like this excitement about what's next. So, uh, you know, you think about special mornings like Christmas. It's like, ah, I gotta get out there and do it. But that's kind of the vibe of heaven. I don't think it would just be random, spontaneous boredom or when things are done, but there would probably be the range of emotions that we experience here, and then and the levels leading up to heaven, yeah. But, but boredom with a cause. Boredom that's leading us somewhere better. But it's a good question. All right, uh, let's do another one. I think we've done three. I think we do two more. Warhawk. Something that bothers me is the notion that we end up in little sections of heaven with people just like us or on our wavelength. Does this suggest that the people we love, despite or because of their differences, are therefore not worth being with in the end? Aren't they intrinsically valuable? Why would heaven segregate?" And that is... A, I love the question because, yeah, like you're just going to like, okay, I only like people like me and uh, everybody else, whatever, I don't care about them. No, and I'll explain. I can definitely see why you would get that impression based on my description here. Let me give you an example. Swedenborg actually outlines a community of people who are not in heaven because they only love—they love their own community more than they love other people. That heaven is actually the one of the the ways he describes the essence of heaven is wishing better for others than for yourself. And that includes outside the community. So a Community of Heaven, it's not like we're all enclosed here and we all mean everything to each other and we just love each other. Um, it's more like you're together because you can do a job well. You know the, the, and everybody there is focused on serving the rest of heaven. And you can travel and you can interact, and the reason that it is heaven within your community is because you're thinking about the good you can do for others. We did a show called A Day in the Life of an Angel that you can check out, where Swedenborg describes two friends from different parts of heaven, in different communities. They had been good friends in the world, continued in heaven, and he saw them meeting each other, like they were leaving the communities on trip or something, and they met each other, hugged in the middle, and just like, we're so happy talking about stuff. So it's like, you can still visit them. They It's not like they don't love each other. They're in different communities because this is where they can do what's right. But certainly, the differences are worth loving, that angels even love people in hell, which are as different as they can be, but you have angels going as part of their work there and ministering, or, or not mini- like trying to convert religiously, but I mean like trying to soothe their anxiety and their agony and try to get them to live in a way that's not going to cause as much harm to themselves. Angels are constantly looking outward, even though you have your core group of people through which you do these tasks, it's not like that's where your love is primarily directed. Swedenborg also says that there's a communication with e- of each individual with everyone. And everyone with each individual. So in some way that's hard to understand, you're connected to everybody in heaven. So it's a good question. And you do want to cultivate those loves of who is different. It's not about, you know, who who's worth loving. It's about who can I work with together to best serve the human race? And that's that's the communities. Is that I, I love your question, so I hope I, I offered something in an answer. Keep thinking like this keep saying, wait, is that actually true? Is that actually fair? Yeah, it's not a segregation like a gated community, um, but it is, it's like the body. Like, you know, you've got the heart. Think about how much the heart loves the rest of the body, right? It pumps blood to everything it takes away, you know, it, it, it's its touching every single part, loves the rest of the body, but yet it's got to have a membrane, and it's got to have just a, certain kinds of cells in it, or else it couldn't do its job. So it's actually, by organizing on its own and having this, this you know, uh, cordoned off part, that's actually the way it loves the rest of the body better. Because through that specific shape, with those specific participants, it's able to give everybody in the body life. That's heaven. That's what the mind of heaven is. So, that's my best shot at it. Alright, let's do one more, thanks Warhawk. Eric, why do those who went to hell not want or desire to go to heaven? Do they view hell as heaven for them and therefore cannot stand the heavenly atmosphere? Yes, exactly. Um, If you, hell is loving only your own advantages, despising other people. People who are making that the center of their life, Swedenborg says, you mentioned atmosphere, exactly. Swedenborg says they can't stand being near heaven. They they hate it, they don't like the way it smells, they don't like the way it feels. Kind of like the Grinch, you know, in Whoville, he couldn't stand that they're all so nice to each other. He's like, ugh, that's, that's corny, I don't like that. That Swedenborg talks to people in hell who, who are trying to convince him, no, listen man, pe- people say that, you know, what we love to do is is filthy, but listen, we're allowed to do it as long as we don't hurt people, but we can't help it so we get in trouble. They, they're trying to sell him on heaven, I mean on hell, and yes, to them they feel like it's heaven. It's it's not like heaven. The joy that you get in hell is gross, and it's um, in both senses of the word, like it's disgusting, but it's also like inferior. It's not. It's it's just a shadow of what true human joy is. It doesn't progressively make you happier. It dis it disconnects you from people rather than connecting. But some people, as you see some of us on Earth, or at times in our own lives, we put um, we put selfishness ahead of everything because we think that's going to bring us happiness or or wealth or gratification or something. That, for people in that mindset, exactly. They would say, they probably don't even believe that heaven is heaven. You know, there's a whole spectrum there too, of course, but it's not like they're there because they want to be there, and actually God is trying to make it. See our episode, The Good Thing About Hell. God is actually trying to make the happiest existence for them. That, that God possibly can, given the kinds of things they're pursuing and the love they're doing. So, yeah, I would say the answer is yes. Thanks, everybody, for a great show. I appreciate you watching, I appreciate you asking questions, and uh, I hope you'll join us next week, when we're going to continue our looking into the the hidden meaning of the Book of Revelation. We're actually going to look at the, uh, the inner contents of this scene, where there's a throne room and all this bizarre imagery. But as it turns out, according to Swedenborg, there's symbolism in there that explains just how God is taking care of things when things go really crazy in our own little lives. So we'll see you next Monday, same time, for that. Thanks.
1: Swedenborg and Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.